Please do feel free to be seated. It's not every Sunday that we hold up a saint. Usually Sundays have other things on their mind. But today, for a variety of reasons, part of that being Black History Month that we're observing here at St. Stephen's, and the other because I like to play fast and loose with the uh, propers. And believe you me, you would not want the propers that were regularly assigned for this Sunday. I was not looking forward to having to preach on Jesus teaching on divorce. So instead, we're doing a wonderful thing, which is to observe the feast day of blessed Absalom Jones, someone who maybe some of you have heard of, but maybe some have not. Today we remember him and lift him up as an example of righteous living, as someone whose life and prophetic witness helped move the church in his day forward in its reckoning with racism and the inherent prejudices of his day that surrounded the newly freed Americans of African descent. Absalom Jones was a faith-driven pioneer who sought to free his people and create a more inclusive society and church while doing it. Born into slavery in 1746, he and his family were the slave property of a wealthy Sussex County, Delaware landowner and farmer. As a child, he was clever and that was taken note of and he was moved from working in the fields to being able to work in the house. And it is there that he rubbed elbows with various visitors who came to the plantation, who on occasion would give him coins as tips. He saved them up to buy spelling books, primers, eventually a Bible, and set himself to the task of teaching himself to read and learn how to write. He was but 16 years old. His owner, Benjamin Wincoop, decided to give up farming and he promptly sold all of his farming assets, the plantation and all that came with it, which included Absalom's mother and his brothers and his sisters. All of them were sold off. Absalom alone was left to journey with his master to Philadelphia, where his master took up the merchant's trade. Absalom worked in the man's shop by day, but was given a chance to attend a night school run by Quakers for the population of freed blacks living in Philadelphia. He also managed to do some evening work for pay that his owner allowed him to keep which he dutifully saved up. Now, Benjamin Wincoop was an Anglican, not just any old Anglican, but a rather prominent one in his neighborhood. He even served as the vestryman of one of Philadelphia's churches, where undoubtedly Jones went to church with his master and was exposed to the Anglican ways of Christianity. 
1770, Jones married Mary King, another enslaved person owned by a Philadelphia neighbor at Christ Church in Philadelphia. With his savings and the loans that he was able to get from some Quaker abolitionists he'd met along the way, he bought her freedom for 40 pounds in 1778 so that any of the children born of their union would be considered free. He himself sought freedom in a similar way. He wanted to buy his freedom from Wincoop, but Wincoop would not budge for years and years until finally in 1784, he was given manumission by his master. But even then, Jones continued to work in the store, earning wages this time from his former master. Freed from slavery, Jones pursued his own religious path in life, which took him to the few, one of the few interracial churches in Philadelphia at the time, St. George's Methodist Church, where he quickly rose to prominence as a lay minister and preacher it was there that he met Richard Allen. And the two of them grew the black membership of that congregation exponentially through their work among the freed black population of Philadelphia. They formed a society, the Free African Society, conceived of as a membership dues paying organization that would be a mutual aid association for this emerging group in the city of Philadelphia. Shortly after that, the big decisive moment in Jones's life occurred. They had been asked to labor long and hard in their church building. They wanted to build a gallery way up high in the back of the church. Most of the freed blacks in the congregation helped build this gallery. Without announcement on one particular Sunday, when they came for worship and sat in the pews amongst the other white parishioners, they were quickly told that they were not permitted to be there on the ground floor and that they would have to remove themselves up to the balcony that they themselves had constructed. This so offended them that they, as a group, marched out in protest and never went back to St. George's Methodist Church. They quickly formed a new church of their own, one they called the African Church. And by 1791, it was growing and prospering. They continued to grow and they continued to think of themselves as civic-minded, seeking the release from captivity of those who were enslaved among their brethren. In 1793, for example, Jones and others banded together to send a petition to the U.S. Congress to end the fugitive slave law that had just been acted. But that petition, still recorded in Washington, never made it out of committee to be debated on the House floor. That same year, a yellow fever epidemic ravaged the city of Philadelphia. And it was the popular belief that those of African descent were immune from the disease. 
They were highly sought out to be caregivers and to bury the dead. Most of the wealthy white members of society had fled the city. But Jones organized his church community and others in the broader freed black community to be the caregivers that were needed and to bury the dead. By doing this, they, as a community, gained a solid reputation that would help endear them to the citizens of Philadelphia for years to come and help cement the ties which would eventually assist as they went on to build their church. As the pandemic came to an end, the African church decided it was time to affiliate with the denomination. And by a vote of the group, they decided that their best path forward was to seek alliance with the Episcopal Church. And they asked to be received into the Diocese of Pennsylvania. And they asked rather boldly. They said there were three conditions that they held. That they be received as a body, that they have control over all the local affairs of their congregation and that Jones himself was to be licensed as a lead reader and if qualified, ordained as their minister. All of those conditions were met and they were dutifully entered into the Diocese of Pennsylvania and became part of the Episcopal Church that year. And they renamed their church, St. Thomas African Episcopal Church, which still stands to this day in Philadelphia. Jones was ordained a deacon by Bishop White in the next year. And after having the certain requirements of learning suspended for him, in 1804, he was ordained as a priest in the Episcopal Church, the first person of African descent to be ordained within our denomination. With his newly found prominence in the community and within the church, he continued to battle and fight for what was right. At the turn of the century, he organized 70 more freed blacks from Philadelphia to petition Congress yet again to address the issue of slaves who had been captured and were being sent back to slaveholding states and he railed against the barbarities of slavery and asserted the equal rights to citizenship of every freed black person in America. In his generation, Jones was an earnest preacher who continued to denounce slavery. Though very few of his writings and sermons were ever saved, from the few we do have access to, it is clear that his theology of liberation drew strong parallels from the biblical story of the Exodus and the plight suffered by American slaves. He boldly proclaimed a God who was active in history, not just then, but even then in his time, including his own day, always seeking justice for the oppressed. And he readily proclaimed this message, not just to his own black congregation, but to the wider white church of his day as well.
One sermon of his does exist, a sermon in Thanksgiving that was delivered on January 1st in 1808. That was the day when the Constitution mandated that the slave trade in the United States would end. He gathered his community of faith and they gave thanks for the end. In that sermon, there is tremendous imagery of God looking out for the oppressed, of the exodus of the Jewish people from Pharaoh's yoke, and a liberation theology that predates anything we may have heard about in the 20th century. My former bishop, Bishop Hughes of Newark, was preaching at an Absalom Jones celebration not too long ago. And when she did, she offered a rather challenging assessment of the current times in which we live. She said, we are at a time, at a moment in the history of our nation and a moment in the history of our church and a moment in the history of ourselves as faithful people, and a moment that is full of challenge and full of opportunity, that is complex and confounding, at a moment where sometimes we feel like we're able to make a difference, and sometimes we're wondering if anything we say or do has any impact at all. And on some level, we know one thing to be true, that the things that are done and left undone in this moment will reverberate long past us, beyond our children, beyond our children's children, to generations that we will not know. As we lift up the example and remember the life and witness of Absalom Jones today, I hope all of us might be granted the grace of courage and the will to follow the Holy Spirit to that undiscovered country of racial justice and equity, knowing that in this journey, it will require some lament, repentance, and reconciliation for our racial past and present in this country. We find ourselves in a critical moment. How will we, as individuals and as the church, respond? Hopefully with these words echoing in our ear. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Amen.